Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we're talking about another of the Vital Signs 2017 categories, this time access and ability. It was one of the 10 categories explored in the Winnipeg Foundation's recent Vital Signs report, and we'll have some stories based on that theme for you today. Up first, we'll speak with Jim Lab, Executive Director of L'Arche Winnipeg. We're going to be talking about how L'Arche helps to educate businesses and encourage employment of those with developmental disabilities. We'll also speak with legally blind Community News Commons citizen reporter Deanna Ng, and we'll be discussing the newly implemented Accessibility for Manitobans Act, as well as how accessible Winnipeg is for those with a disability. Then we'll be joined by Myra Peters, Executive Director of the Winkler Community Foundation, to learn more about how the community is getting ready for the 24-hour giving challenge that's taking place on Saturday, November 18th. And it's Remembrance Day this week, so today we'll also speak with Bill Shedd, member of the Centre for Aboriginal Human Resources Development Board about the recent Aboriginal Veterans Day ceremony that was held November 8th at the Neganin Centre in Winnipeg. We've got all this, some great music, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Robert, how are you feeling? Can you tell that I'm a little under the weather today? Well, maybe a little bit, judging by the voice. Yeah, it's a little. I, I won't. I won't breathe on you. I won't sneeze on you. But uh, I'm glad there's a significant amount of distance between us uh, here in the studio. Precisely. We should put up a sneeze guard, maybe, just like they have at the uh, at the buffet tables. Today's show is going to be a good one. I think um, we're going to be focusing on another one of the Winnipeg Foundation's Vital Signs 2017 categories. Today, of course, is focusing on access and ability. Obviously, access and ability can mean a different number of things to a different number of people, but for our purposes today, we're going to be talking uh, about access, ability, accessibility, employment, stereotypes, stigma, supports for living in our city with, uh, you know, potential disabilities or difficulties, and just all sorts of things that have to do with access and ability, Um, whether that's doing things that we take for granted, be it shopping, commuting, finding a job, or even just walking around our city. Up first, we've got Jim Lapp from L'Arche Winnipeg, an incredible organization that's a part of L'Arche International, which is a global initiative to make known the gifts of those with developmental disabilities. Jim and Nolan will discuss the importance of employing people with developmental disabilities and the benefits of doing so. Jim's been a guest on the show before, and we're happy to have him back on the program. But before we do that, let's start things off with a song. What do we have to kick off today's show, Nolan? Well, today we're going to kick things off with Dion Warwick with What the World Needs Now, right here on River City 360. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just What the world needs now Is love, sweet love No, not just for some But for everyone Lord, we don't need another mountain There are mountains and hillsides Enough to climb 
And there are oceans and rivers Enough to cross, enough to last Till the end of time What the world needs now Is love, sweet love It's the only thing Listening to River City 360, Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we're now joined via telephone by Jim Lapp. He's the executive director of Larsh Winnipeg. Jim, thank you very much for joining us today. That's great to be with you. So we've had you on the show before, we talking a little bit about Larsh and your mission, but maybe for those who haven't uh, heard that interview yet, just give us a quick rundown of uh, what Larsh's mission is here in Winnipeg. Okay, well, the mission of Larsh, we're part of an international organization, but the mission of Larsh is to make known the gifts of people with developmental disabilities. And so if you look around in Winnipeg or around the world, people are typically pretty isolated and um, often not appreciated. So we, we recognize that they have gifts of welcome, uh, forgiveness, um, celebration. They really 
they really appreciate uh, being with people, and uh, yeah, relationships are very, very important mm-hmm. to them. So, since since working with Larsh, how have, have have you noticed a difference in um, the stigma being broken down a little bit over the past few years, or, or do you think there's still a long ways to go when it comes to dealing with that? Um, I would say that there's been an improvement. Um, I. Th- when I went to school, there were no children with disabilities in my school. Right. Um, I'm 66 years old, so it's a long time ago when I was in school. But um, and beginning about the 1980, they started being integrated into regular schools, and um, people got to know them. So younger people are much more comfortable. Uh, they've had relationships with people with disability in school, so they're much more comfortable in relating to them. Mm-hmm. But I do notice, um, I, I see people, whenever I'm out in the community, I see people with disabilities, and I can usually tell they're either with someone who's a staff person or with their family, and they typically aren't, you don't get a sense they're with a friend or mm-hmm. someone isn't. So I think, generally, I think that people are quite socially isolated still. Right. Um, and there certainly is more acceptance of people being employed and being part of the community, uh, which would, didn't exist 30 or 40 years right. ago. So there, there's been an improvement, but I, we have a ways to go yet, I think. Definitely. How do, you think, how do you think Winnipeg sort of ranks when it comes to the supports that are available for those with developmental disabilities? Um, I think we're sort of pretty, uh, pretty much in, in the normative range across Canada. Larsh is across Canada, so I have a sense of what's going on across Canada. There are places that are, there's better funding and better supports, and there's places that have worse funding and worse supports than right. what Winnipeg does. Um, I think we have lots of room for improvement in that, but um, on, on many different fronts. But um, it's, it's not particularly a great story anywhere that I'm aware right. of. Anyhow, so. Yeah, it's definitely there's room for improvement across the country, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, so t- t- on today's show, we're talking all about the Winnipeg Vital Signs Report and specifically the category known as access and ability. Uh, one of the stats that we found within this report was that 56.4% of Manitobans with disabilities are employed, so only about half. Uh, what can we do to improve that number? Well, um, I, I think we really have to, starting with the education system, which I think I, I am a retired educator and I did work um, with people with developmental disabilities in the education system, but I think we really need to improve on work education in, in the high schools particularly and getting people ready for um, the job market. And I think we really have to emphasize that. Um, and then I, I think we, we really have to start making the case with employers um, that people with developmental disabilities make great employees, and there's lots of things that they provide that necessarily other employees uh, would do. Mm-hmm. A couple of examples, um, in, on, in uh, Scarborough, Ontario, there's a, a, a Mark Chaff is his name. He owns um, seven uh, Tim Hortons franchises, and he has a hearing impairment, and uh, he's quite open about that, and he was somewhat sympathetic when a guy with Down syndrome showed up and wanted a job at one of his places, and so he hired him and discovered he was a great employee, and now mm-hmm. I think almost half his employees are people with disabilities, oh. and they're, they show up on time. He's spending a lot less money on training. Um, they're really excited about their jobs. They, they bring an atmosphere and a commitment that other employees don't necessarily have or didn't have, yeah. and uh, and also um, Walgreens United States, they hired uh, at one of their distribution centers 10% of their staff, and that became the most uh, 
the best distribution center they had because people with disability come in and say they're so happy to see people, they're so excited to have the job, that everyone feels better about being there, and so people are more productive. Wow. So, um, so the case needs to be made with em- employers that um, people with developmental disabilities can really add something to your I think it might just be a case of uh, giving them a chance, right? It seems as though that's just been the problem is people just have this preconceived notion about what an employee or what that what that type of person would be like as an employee. But when they actually when it happens in real life, it's like, oh, w- wait a minute, that those preconceived notions were completely false. Yeah. So for sure. Um, what are some of the benefits to the actual employees aside from, you know, financial gain for, for having a steady job and for being a part of a, a community like that? Well, I mean, I think uh, people have incredible pride in, in, in their doing a good job, mm-hmm. um, and so they feel good about themselves. I think, I think because they are so relational, I think they really enjoy the relationships at work um, and, and you know, ma- making friends. And I mean, I, if there's examples at our cafe of that, but yeah. I mean, and, and I think um, people, yeah, they really are appreciative of that. So I think the benefit is just the self-esteem and the... The relationships would be the, the things that come to mind right away, at least. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, for those of our listeners who haven't been to the Lars Tova Cafe, tell us a little bit about uh, what what goes on there and and uh, and what you can expect for for breakfast at Lars Tova. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Lars Tova Cafe was started uh, a little over five years ago, um, and we're in our sixth year of operation. And its uh, purpose is to make known the gifts of people with developmental disabilities, but it's also to employ people with disabilities or train people with disabilities. We do both uh, to, to work in a cafe. Um, so if, if you come in the door, you will be... We don't always have someone with a disability, but generally we do. Um, greet you and um, you know, sh- get you drinks and stuff like mm-hmm. that and um, start that relationship with you. And then, um, yeah, so we, we provide good food if we're... Uh, if you go on TripAdvisor, it's we've got good reviews, um, very good and excellent. And um, people comment, and uh, generally that they, they they get a warm welcome. They really like the atmosphere of the cafe, the sort of a community atmosphere to it. Um, it looks good, and the food is of good quality. And I, I can confirm, great breakfast, one of the best in the city, honestly. Of if you're craving a good breakfast, good home cooked meal, Lars Tova is where you gotta go. <laughs> Yeah, and just as a side, I mean, this is necessarily that important to some people, but uh, we have a very clean restaurant, and with the mm-hmm. health inspectors have even commented on that. So, and we, sure. and then we, we 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 have all those sort of things in mind, so we want to keep our standards very high. So. Definitely. So, tell me about. I think our listeners might enjoy a Christmas concert coming up next week uh, at the Blessed Blessed Sacrament Church. Tell me, tell me a little bit about it and what what the uh, what you're raising funds for. Okay, well, it's called the Songs of Christmas, and it's with the Grace Sisters. Uh, their father was one of the founding board members of Larsh Winnipeg over four oh, cool. years ago, and and Blessed Sacrament Church is really where Larsh Winnipeg began. There was members of that church who really welcomed people into the community of, of Transcona. But anyhow, it's, so it's next Thursday, November sixteenth, and tickets are fifteen dollars. Um, we prefer you to buy in advance through us, but you can get them at the door if you absolutely need to. And um, the money's being raised for Larsh International. Um, we have communities around the world, in, in, including places like Haiti. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those they have no government support, and they really struggle to keep going. So we're raising money to help them out. So. Very cool. Well, thank you for all the work that you do and that Larsh does, uh, making known the gifts of those with developmental disabilities. For our listeners who want to find out a little bit more information, where can they go? 
Well, we, um, we have a website, uh, larshwinnipeg.org, and they're welcome to check it out. And there's also all kinds of other websites around. Larsh Canada, Larsh International have websites as well. As we say, we're in 37 countries and 140 places around the world. Um, and, um, yeah, and they're welcome to come to the cafe and check it out and uh, get some information there. For sure. A lot of great stories on the websites there. A lot of great great good work being done. So uh, thank you, Jim Lapp, Executive Director of Larsh Winnipeg, for your time today. We really appreciate you, and uh, have a good week. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up after the break, we'll be joined by Deanna Ng. She is a legally blind citizen reporter for Community News Commons, and we're going to be talking about accessibility here in Winnipeg and what it's like navigating through Winnipeg and some of the barriers that she faces. But before we get to that, here is Love Letters by Acker Bilk right here on River City 360. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. And we're now joined in studio by a special guest. We have Deanna Ng. She is a community news commons citizen reporter and she is legally blind. Deanna, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, the legally blind part is relevant because we are talking about accessibility and access and and ability here on the program today. Um, Specifically, 
on November 1st, the Accessibility for Manitobans Act was passed, and we wanted to have you in here to just talk about the act itself and how Winnipeg sort of measures up when it comes to accessibility for those with disabilities. Now, the act states that everyone should have barrier-free access to places, events, and other functions in our community. The access should be provided in a manner that does not perpetuate differences based on a person's disability, and the responsibility to prevent or remove barriers rests with the person or organization that established or perpetuated the barriers in the first place. So with all these rules that are kind of coming into fruition here in Manitoba, Deanna, when you hear all these, do you think that that does enough to help uh, those with a disability get uh, with access here in Winnipeg? I think it's a good start, but there's a lot more work to be done. So just to change the attitudes and and also just have more education and awareness. For sure. I think the attitudes is a big a big part of it, obviously, because um, so what we found in Winnipeg Vital Science 2017, the top three citizen priorities were to increase access to ability specific supports and accommodations to develop more options for independent living. And as you mentioned, to decrease the stigma for ability specific barriers that people face. So how how can the average person sort of reduce the amount of stigma that's out there when it comes to uh, those with a disability? So they can go to any agency that helps people with disabilities or even go online and just educate themselves on things like customer service. So how to help all customers in a professional and, you know, not too helpful, but just asking them, how can I help you? is the best way to start. I think, yeah, the, do you think people might be afraid of offending someone or, you know, there's they're sort of like walking on eggshells in certain situations? So would you just say that, yeah, walking up to someone and saying, hey, what can I do to help you? What, what's the best way to uh, to assist you in, in, this, in, in my business? Is that the best way to go about it? Yes, because everyone has their different levels of comfort and different levels of need. And so like, instead of just grabbing me by the arm and taking me somewhere, asking me, do you need help crossing the street? Do you want me to tell you when the light is green? That's, that's all you need, eh? Yeah, so what are some of the barriers that you've personally faced here in Winnipeg when it comes to uh, accessibility? Okay, well, when going shopping at different businesses, I find that narrow aisles and when it's crowded, it's very difficult to navigate. Mm. And also the debit machine that everyone uses, well, they have very tiny print. So oh, yeah. just to have, I've seen that they had a talking debit machine. Oh, cool. And that has been very helpful. For sure. I noticed you even mentioned getting up to our, un, into our studios here that there the braille situation for the for the elevators was a little bit confusing. So, I mean, do you think that we're on the right path as a society to get to to complete accessibility? I mean, or are you optimistic about how how things are going? I believe the legislation is a first step. Mm-hmm. It's just educating people on what accessibility means and how people like such as the elevators if they had braille on the buttons or had buttons that were highlighted where the button is to press for the elevator. Right. So just simple things like that, even though they might have a cost to them. It's worth it, I think, in the long run, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, as you've grown up as a young woman, how have you noticed things change from when you were very little? Have you, have you noticed a, a, a really big change here in Winnipeg and in Canada, or has it been pretty steady? Well, over the last 15 years since I've been here, be, I remember when the buses 
didn't call out the stops.、Mm. And when they started calling out the stops, that was a huge revolution. And it enabled me to travel anywhere in the city I would like. Right. As well as the online Navigo site. I mean, that has also been much easier than having to call transit. I remember those days. And. Just to call them and figure out, okay, what buses do I take? So, this has been very、um, enabling. What would you say to the average person? What, what can we do if, if,、uh, to help with accessibility? I know the, the AMA, the Accessibility for Manitobans Act, is more for businesses and for organizations, but what can the average person do to just help with the average person with a disability? I would say the best way is just to ask, How may I help you? And that's a very basic. Um, discussions. So, whenever anyone、uh, is asked that, then they can tell you how you can be of assistance to them. Just be a good Samaritan, I guess, at the end of the day, right? Exactly. Perfect. So, Deanna, is there any resources that you can recommend for our listeners if they want to learn a little bit more and educate themselves a bit more? They can go online to the Accessibility for Manitobans Act website, accessibilitymb.ca. Perfect. And they can also, if they want to look up specific organizations, there's mb.211.ca. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. That sounds wonderful. So that's accessibilitymb.ca, all one word, or else mb.211.ca. Deanna Ng, thank you very much for speaking to us today. Deanna is a community news common citizen reporter, and we really appreciate your input and your perspective. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks again to Deanna for joining us on the program today. Coming up next, the Endow Manitoba 24 hour giving challenge takes place next week on Saturday, November 18th, and we'll be speaking to the executive director of one of the more than 50 community foundations in our province that will be taking part. Myra Peters from the Winkler Community Foundation will be joining us to talk about the impact that the giving challenge has had in the community and some very exciting news for anyone that's thinking about making a gift to the Winkler Community Foundation in particular. Before we get to that, though, here is Dick Hames with It's So Peaceful in the Country, right here on River City 360. It's so peaceful in the country. It's so simple and quiet. You really ought to try it. 
you walk about and talk about the pleasant things in life. It's so restful in the country. It's the right kind of diet. You really ought to try it. You lie and dream beside a stream while Daisy's not alone. City living is a pretty living. It's so full of unexpected thrills. But there's too much stone, too much telephone. There's too much of everything but trees and hills. It's so peaceful in the country. It's so simple and quiet. Someday you're bound to try it. The only place to be place for you and me where it's peaceful in the country Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zerg here with you today, and I'm now joined by Myra Peters. She is the executive director of the Winkler Community Foundation. Myra, thank you so much for joining me today. First and foremost, can you give me sort of a background of the Winkler Community Foundation? Tell us a little bit about what the foundation does and maybe about some of the foundation's initiatives as well. The Winkler Community Foundation is here to make a positive impact on the community of Winkler and surrounding area. And We've been involved in many great projects over the years, and some of them include the new outdoor rink that's coming up in the Emirato development, many play structures, a wheelchair lift at the senior center. We look to impact the community in various ways that we can support the charities that are currently running in our community, and so it's exciting to be able to support the community and make it a better place to live, work, and play in. How much has the foundation granted out into the community? In 2017, we granted $128,000 back into the community, and this is through scholarships and community grants as well as agency grants. I wanted to speak about the Endow Manitoba 24-Hour Giving Challenge, which is coming up, and all the uh, Manitoba Community Foundations are are gearing up for it. It's the fourth year this year, Um, but I'm wondering if you can speak to what the impact has been from the past three years that the challenge has been held. The challenge has been a wonderful opportunity for the Winkler Community Foundation. It's given us a reason to get into the community and set up kind of an information table and our board members to to talk to the general public about the 
work of the foundation and the impact that the foundation has had in our community and continues to have. And and so, yeah, we've set up a table at the Winkler Co-op and talked to many people about the foundation and just received donations from regular donors, but also from new donors. And it's been exciting to see the, the gifts that have come in during the 24-hour giving challenge. And we also know that we have donors that are excited about matching opportunities. And so when they know that their dollar is stretched and has a greater impact on the community, it always encourages them to, to give on that day. Absolutely. It's um, it's something that makes the grants that you were mentioning possible. And this year in particular, so as with past years, the Winnipeg Foundation's adding a dollar for every $5 that you give to a, a Manitoba Community Foundation on November 18th, which is the Endow Manitoba 24-Hour Giving Challenge Day. And then new this year, the province of Manitoba is adding a dollar, which turns a $5 gift into a $7 one. But specifically for Winkler, there's some really exciting news about how a gift can go even further. Can you share some more details about that with us? Definitely. We are so excited about the opportunity that the Winnipeg Foundation presented in matching $1 for every five and then the province matching. So we brought that to the board and said, this is exciting. What can we do more? And so they approached some businesses in the community and they've come on board. And so we've now doubled every donation that's going to come in on that day, thanks to the city of Winkler, Winkler Access Credit Union, the Winkler Auto Dealers, as well as donation that kickstarted the giving from BDO. That's excellent. Essentially, if someone makes a, a $5 gift, it means that their gift, a $5 gift to the Winkler Community Foundation, it means that their gift is actually going to be equal to $10, which is, is really exciting, like a doubling of the uh, the impact that one gift can have in the community on that day. That's correct. And we are excited about the support from our sponsors and, and just the opportunity for our donors to have a greater impact in the gift that they give. There will be a table set up at the, uh, the Winkler Co-op, I understand, on November 18th as well? Yes. So board of directors will be set up at the Winkler Co-op between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And they'll be there to talk to community members about what the foundation does, as well as take in donations if anyone wants to come and drop off a donation. Excellent. And if people want to learn more about the Winkler Community Foundation and uh, and all the great work that you're doing in the community, or if they want to learn more about the, uh, the 24-hour giving challenge on November 18th, where can they go for more information? For more information, they can go to the Winkler Community Foundation website at winklercommunityfoundation.com, or they can give the foundation office a call at 204-362-9292. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Myra, for speaking with me today about uh, about the foundation and the, uh, the 24-hour giving challenge, and all the best on November 18th. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. As Myra said, you can visit winklercommunityfoundation.com for more information about the Winkler Community Foundation. And don't forget the Endow Manitoba 24-Hour Giving Challenge takes place this or next Saturday, November 18th, for every $5 gift made to a Manitoba Community Foundation's unrestricted fund, the Winnipeg Foundation, and the province of Manitoba will stretch it with one extra dollar each. So that means a $5 gift becomes actually seven. There are more than 50 community foundations across the province, so be sure to visit endowmanitoba.ca to find the one supporting your local community or for more details about the 24-hour giving challenge. Again, that's endowmanitoba.ca. 
Coming up next, we're going to be bringing you Sonny Primolo's conversation with Bill Shedd of the Aboriginal Resource Development Board, and he's going to be talking about the annual Aboriginal Veterans Day event ceremony that took place November 8th. But first, here's Gallagher and Lyle with I Want to Stay With You, right here on River City 360. set me up and love let me down again feel like a weatherman one day sun next day rain mentioned earlier, my name is Sunny Pomolo, and today on River City 360, I have Bill Shedd, a member of the Centre for Aboriginal Human Resource Development Board, to speak on uh, the Aboriginal Community Campus Aboriginal Veterans Day commemorative ceremony. Officially, Remembrance Day recalls the end of the hostilities of World War I in 1918, ending on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. But November 11th isn't the only day that celebrates our veterans. Each year on November 8th, we also pay our respects on Aboriginal Veterans Day, where commemorations are held to honor the 12,000 plus Indigenous members who served in both World Wars and the Korean War. 
Today, we are here with Bill Shedd to speak about the Aboriginal Community Campus Aboriginal Veterans Day, which was held at the Neganin Centre in Winnipeg. Welcome to River City 360, Bill. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. What can you tell us about Aboriginal Veterans Day? Well, the formal celebrations, I think, began about 20 years ago. Um, there were a few Aboriginal veterans that lobbied for this. Uh, one of the members who played a key role in it was Randy Gage, who lives and works in this city, and she's still active in, in uh, veterans affairs. She's been pretty well active up in the Riverton area, uh, doing some great stuff there to commemorate Aboriginal Veterans Day. I'm sure that she could probably answer the question a hell of a lot better than me. <laughs> and could you please share with us what traditions typically take place during the commemoration ceremony? It's probably not unlike a Remembrance Day ceremony that you would see on the 11th of November in any one of the communities. There is an accent on Aboriginal veterans. There is perhaps a little bit of ceremony that's a little a little different. There may be a, a smudge or a blessing from, from an elder, but essentially the same. And to our listeners, some of you may not know, but some of our most decorated veterans are Indigenous. Could you share with us a few of their names and some of their stories? A number of Aboriginal veterans or Indigenous veterans that served were recognized for their gallantry, generally as snipers. Uh, one was Henry Northwest. He won a military medal twice. Unfortunately, he was also killed by a sniper just before the end of the war. One individual who did survive the war was Francis Pekinagabo, um, and he won the, or he was awarded the um, military medal three times. Um, he went on to, to uh, serve his community as a chief uh, and is pretty well recognized. Unfortunately, of course, he, like all First World War veterans, has passed. Moving on to the Second World War and Korean War, one of the most notable is Sergeant Tommy Prince yes. uh, from our province. Uh, Tommy was a member of the Broken Head Ojibwe Nation, and he served in the Second World War and the Korean War. In the Second World War, he uh, initially was with a Canadian unit as a parachutist, uh, went to, with a number of other Canadians to form part of the Devil's Brigade, but its official name was the First Special Services Force. It was a joint Canadian-United States force that was formed to uh, do some special ops in, uh, in the Second World War. Um, they initially landed at, uh, in the Aleutian Islands, but the enemy had departed. But then they deployed again to Italy and took part in, uh, in the campaign. Their prince was awarded the Military Medal for Bravery for his role as an artillery spotter. He was in the forward position, calling down the shots of the artillery uh, which was behind him and he was very close to the German lines. Sometime during the course of, of uh, this engagement, uh, an enemy shell uh, burst in the uh, field between Prince and his unit and uh, cut the telephone line that he was using. Uh, what he did then was dress up as a farmer because he was an, his post was uh, an abandoned farmhouse and he dressed as this farmer, uh, went out, uh, pretended to be uh, looking after his land and uh, uh, cursing both the enemy and the Allied forces for interrupting his work as a farmer. And he uh, worked his way uh, down the field till he found the broken line, and he pretended to be tying his shoe and ended up repairing the telephone line. He then worked his way back to the uh, post 
and continued his role as the artillery spotter. For that engagement, um, he was awarded the Military Medal, which is a British decoration awarded to uh, members of the British and Commonwealth forces uh, at the time. Later on, the First Special Services Force was deployed to southern France, and in this case, uh, Sergeant Prince had the role on patrol, where he went out on patrol behind enemy lines to find out their strengths, and this he determined, and with his comrade-in-arms returned back to the unit, but on the way, they ran into a group of French partisans that were having some difficulty with a German patrol, so he and his partner uh, joined the French and uh, beat back this German unit, and he then carried on back to his unit to make the report of the strength of the enemy that he found, and then he led the unit back to where the enemy was and joined in the fight against that, uh, that group. Wow, and that's for that, incredible. he was awarded the American Silver Star. The medals were actually pinned on his chest by King George VI at a ceremony at Buckingham Palace oh, wow. in April of 1945. You are currently a board member for the Center for Aboriginal Human Resource Development. Could you share with our listeners what CAHRD and the Aboriginal Community Campus is all about? That organization has, uh, has morphed several times in name only, but in the tasks that they do, it's essentially the same. It's basically to prepare people for employment. Over the years, uh, they've increased the services that they provide to, uh, uh, to people who are seeking employment. Uh, I think that if you look at their motto today, you will, it will say, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, um, creating opportunities one family at a time, uh. something like that. Um, in essence, what they're trying to do uh, and what they do quite successfully is work with uh, employers to find out what their need is and determine what services or what interventions they have to make with the general population to get people ready to work in that particular industry. They uh, initially started out, I think, with banking, uh, where they were preparing people for work in the banks. However, uh, over the years, they found that, one, not only did they have to diversify the, the industries that they were working with, but they also had to increase the number of interventions that they had to do with specific employees. For example, today, the best-paying jobs are in complex industries, manufacturing, aerospace, uh, medical, etc., so if you want to get into these good-paying jobs, um, you not only have to be able to uh, do the job, you have to uh, have a good level of education, a good level of literacy. Um, if you have some social issues that prevent you from uh, pursuing your education or your training, and then you have to do something to overcome that. What we are doing now is a whole range of things, but they all lead to the end product of getting somebody a good paying job. So you might find somebody who comes into uh, the Center for Aboriginal Human Resource Development who needs literacy training, then they need education upgrading, then they need to become literate in, in the industry that they're going to be working in, then they have to get basic training in that industry. And some of them may have some other social issues because they may be single parents. So we found that we've had to provide not only accommodation, but we provide childcare facilities. So if you go to our, our complex now, you'll find that we're not just in one building, we are in at least three. Uh, one area is the Center for Aboriginal Human Resource Development in Niganan Center. Next door is a welding 
training facility. Next door to that is a training facility for aerospace and other manufacturing in, in the modern day. And then next door to that, we have a number of housing units where single, fa single parent families uh, and other families who are taking training in the center uh, can live. And then on top of that, we have a child care facility across the street right. where, where we can um, uh, take care of 49 children. So you can see that the Center for Aboriginal Human Resource Development and the, and the campus are involved in a, in a range of activities, but all leading to one end. I would like to thank Bill Shedd, board member for the Center for Aboriginal Human Resource Development, for speaking with us today. And special thanks goes out to our veterans for sharing their stories and protecting our country. Canada's Aboriginal veterans had to overcome cultural challenges, sacrificed and made invaluable contributions in the efforts to restore world peace. Thanks to the courage and contributions of all our veterans, we are able to exercise the freedoms we have today. I hope we all take the time to remember all the lives that were lost so that we may live the lives we are blessed with each day. Thanks, Sonny. And Sonny also had the opportunity to attend the Aboriginal Veterans Day ceremony yesterday. He had a great conversation with one of the Aboriginal veterans who spoke of the ceremony and their experience. We'll bring you highlights of that conversation after another musical break, but before we get to that, here is the orchestra with Temptation right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Before the break, you heard River City 360's own Sonny Primolo speaking with Bill Shedd about the Aboriginal Veterans Day event that took place yesterday. Sonny was on location speaking with attendees and veterans about the event. Sonny? I attended the Aboriginal Veterans Day ceremony yesterday and had the opportunity to speak with some of the veterans. Here's what Douglas Harney, a member of the 17th Service Battalion, had to say about the ceremony. It makes me proud to come here and march in honour of all the veterans who have passed away and those who are still living and are still serving to honour their memories as well. Douglas Harney, who is a chaplain for the Aboriginal Veterans Association of Manitoba, shared with us his really interesting reason for joining. The reasons why I joined the military is to honour my memory of my grandmother and my grandfather. As I said in the service today, my grandfather and grandmother went over to England back in the Second World War to fight with the British Allied Forces. And my grandfather in the Army, my grandmother in the Air Force, they met that way. They got married, and I went and served to honor their memory. When talking about young Indigenous people who were interested in joining, here's what he had to say. I would say do that. The history of the Aboriginal people, the lifestyle that we live on the reserves, this is a way of bettering ourselves, the way of respecting our communities, standing up and going and doing our service for the country, for our people, for our communities, for our families, for our elders, and that to show respect for the life we've lived, to show respect for the life they've lived, and to be able to show them that we are doing this for you. We're parading and we're doing our service, not for us, but for our country and for the community where we live. I would like to once again thank Douglas Harney for sharing his stories with us. This year, the ceremonies were held at the Neganen Center in Winnipeg, which was a beautiful setting filled with over 100 people who came together to commemorate our veterans. I would like to thank the Center for Aboriginal Human Resource Development for inviting us to the ceremony and for honoring our Aboriginal veterans. Aboriginal Veterans Day is held every year on November 8th. I encourage everyone next year to come out and honor those who have fought for all of us. Thanks, Sonny. And we've got time for one last song before we let you go today. Here is Cher with the Shoop Shoop song. It's in his kiss right here on River City 360.
That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking with us. If you'd like to hear more reviews and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, please visit us online. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360. Views and news from around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the program. If there's anything you'd like to share with us about any of the stories you heard today or about the topic of sustainability in our city in general, give us a call on our listener line. We'd love to hear your feedback. It is open 24-7. Just leave us a message. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, uh, if you'd like to give us a call. Our number again, 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell, signing off and saying goodbye for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. Mm-hmm.